It is great to be sharing with you in, from the Word of God and preaching from the, in the series Anointed from Isaiah 61. Um, I'm just sort of talking while people settle down. Uh, if you're a visitor here, uh, not only can I give you a personal welcome, I just say that I've, I've, I've been here for some time um, and uh, I'm, I'm retired now, but I used to be leading the church some years ago. So if I seem a bit familiar and at ease, that's because I am familiar and at ease. Uh, if you're a visitor, you might think, who's this funny old chap who seems to take, take it upon himself that he's at home? Well, I am at home, so that's fine. <laughs> um, we're going to read from Luke 4 verses 16 to 21. I'm in very good company. I hope if you watched the coronation service yesterday, you noticed that I think it was the Bishop of London read this passage. And then I think that's what the Archbishop preached out of. Um, I didn't pinch any sermon from him. I'd already prepared before yesterday. I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, that's a good one. I'll do that. Um, but Obviously, God wants you to hear this passage this weekend. So we're going to read uh, Luke 4. We're going to start at verse 16. It's Jesus, uh, the beginning of his ministry, <clears throat> coming to Nazareth. And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <clears throat> we, only, <clears throat> excuse me, we only know that as the beginning of what he said to them. I presume he may have said more. Jesus was laying out his manifesto for his kingdom. What he'd come to do. How he'd come to fulfill a role that was prophesied in Isaiah. The role of the anointed servant of God the role of the Messiah, the role of the servant who would suffer and yet reign. Isaiah was packed with mysterious, wonderful, sort of understandable and sort of rather mysterious prophecies about this wonderful Messiah, this wonderful saviour, this king, this one who would die and would rise and reign and all sorts of things. And uh, it, he'd bring in people from... All across the world, actually. The Gentiles coming in, that's all prophesied in Isaiah. And Jesus stands up, and it's momentous. He's saying, this time is now here. I'm the at one, the anointed one. And this is not anything um, arrogant, or, or, or it doesn't have a, even an iota of that sort of feel to it. There's a dignity, there's an awesomeness to it. There's an ordinariness almost to Jesus. He's the carpenter's son. That's what some of his uh, congregation accused him. Well, who's this? But there was a magnificent, wonderful truth. And he was opening things up 
that were long looked for, long promised by Isaiah. And Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his sending the Holy Spirit, and ultimately his return and the new heavens and new earth which he will set up. That's all sort of in Isaiah, one way or the other. And it's all tied around this. And Jesus is saying, this is now starting. Today, this is being fulfilled. And that is incredibly exciting. Let's go back with that in mind and just read the first three verses of Isaiah 61, which is obviously what Jesus was referring to. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, what Jesus said, or what he wrote, read, I beg your pardon, it seems to stop before it gets to the bit that I'm going to speak about, which is in verse 3, oaks of righteousness. But I don't think there is any problem with us taking the whole thing and applying it because what Jesus is doing is set in a time and place and he hasn't yet uh, taught, brought many miracles, died, rose, risen again, sent the Holy Spirit, all that. That's all coming. But when you go back to the context, which Jesus clearly gives us the authority to do, this is all a flow together. It's not as though it stops actually at the point Jesus stopped for that particular day and that particular purpose. As I say, we don't actually know everything Jesus even spoke. We only have what he began to say. But here, in this, these three verses that I've just read to you, we have a whole encapsulation of what Jesus came to do. And in the verse we're going to look at, and actually the phrase we're going to look at, which is the last part of verse 3, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is about the people of the Messiah, of the anointed one, the people who follow him, us. (laughs) This is about the Jesus people. This is about his disciples, those who come from any background, any nation and race, as we now know, it's for all people, all Jew and Gentile, and Built into this is a glorious promise about the people who follow Jesus and who put their faith in Jesus. And if you're a Jesus follower this morning, if you've put your faith in Jesus, this is for you, I can assure you. I mean, it's about the strongest grounds you could have. The Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, goes back to these verses and says, this is about me and what I'm going to do. And we have every freedom to go and look, as we're going to do for the next few minutes, at these verses, at these phrases, and say, this is what Jesus will do for those who follow him. Now, we've seen some wonderful things already. We've had several people preaching. Becky, I can remember, it was great the other week. Where's she gone? Oh, there she is. <laughs> well done, it was good. We've listened to others preaching. And, and we've been building towards this sort of slight pause 
because it goes on to say what they're going to do, which, but who they are and what God's done for them, it, it sort of finishes, if you like, with verse 3, that bit of it. And so, as I say, we're going to look at this phrase, they shall be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They're going to be called that by God and by his Messiah. That's going to be quite important to remember. Others might call us other things. But God's saying, these people, my people, who my Messiah will, my anointed one will save and deliver from their mourning, from their grieving, from their uh, brokenness, from their poverty, from their bondage, you know, all the things we're looking at, they will be called. When I have delivered them and saved them, they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Just let that sink in for a moment. We've, We've heard about our need, and that's right. In fact, the first two verses are quite a lot about that, and how he's going to save us and pick us out of the pit and set us free from our prisons and, and, and deliver us from our sins and our brokenheartedness. But when he's done that, they'll be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So we're going to look at the three key phrases, and can I keep saying This is for you and for me if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not, this morning, Becky already made a brief reference to the bread and the wine. You can do something about it. You can ask Jesus into your life. You can say, Lord, I want to follow you. You probably know a bit or you might not be here this morning. If you don't, just talk to someone afterwards because there's an open invitation for you also to enjoy all the things we've already seen. This is good news If you're poor in any way, poor physically, materially, or in spirit, this is good news if you're brokenhearted, if you're in bondage, uh, if you recognize your needs and your your grief and your mourning, maybe literally mourning or mourning over the state of your life or whatever else we might have seen, there is hope in the gospel and it's for you. And then having been saved, having been delivered, having been set free, you will be called an oak of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Let me just, as we move on to the first thing I want to talk about, three things. First one is oaks of righteousness. Let me say something that's obvious. I think actually Tim mentioned it the other week. This is poetry. You say, yes, John. It's not literal. God doesn't turn you into a tree. Now, that may be a relief to some of you. Some of you who are more keen on the environment may think, that's a pity, that would have helped the carbon stuff. No, actually, this is poetry and it's a picture. Now, I know I look as though I'm being patronising. I do know that. But I want to emphasise the point because I think sometimes Christians get a bit silly and a bit literalistic. Let me tell you, the prophets are full of pictures full of symbols, full of metaphors. Isaiah is. So are most of the prophets. Actually, there's a lot of that in the wisdom literature. Song of Solomon's, a lot of it in in even Proverbs. There's a lot of this in the Bible. It's creative. It's, It's wonderful. It catches our imagination. It stirs our hearts. Jesus taught in parables. 
And actually, there's two books that are Daniel and Revelation are called apocalyptic. They're absolutely full of symbols and pictures. And so we need to read our Bibles intelligently and sensitively and thoughtfully and sometimes with an element of common sense. But these pictures are not irrelevant. In fact, they help us to get hold of something. So God knows that. He, he made us. He knows how it works. So by talking about being an oak of righteousness, we'll almost learn more than if you had just had little factual doctrinal statements made to you. It's how we work. It's how God works. It's glorious and creative and wonderful. And when we, need, when we read our Bibles, we do need to be sensitive to what sort of literature we're reading, what it, what it is. Is it, is it literally going to be a mountain or is there something else God's saying? And we could go on and on and on like that. Some of it needs a bit of background knowledge, but most of it is, if you read carefully and thoughtfully, is obvious. And this is one. They will be called oaks of righteousness now some of the astute ones of you will say well in my translation it says large trees well yeah most translations it says oaks and I checked this out I thought why is that well basically in the original right back in the Hebrew it's not absolutely clear whether they're oaks or terrible something I can't pronounce which were big trees about that grew to about 40 feet high and were a bit like oaks Okay, so let's stick with oaks, because we're Brits at the moment. You've all come to live in this land. If you haven't been born here, you know what an oak tree is, don't you? So uh, oaks make sense to us, but we're talking about something similar, and it's very important to understand that, because the tree that God calls you into being and makes you is not some little feeble thing. Oak trees are magnificent. They're majestic. They have a huge branch system, but they also have a huge root system, I believe nearly as big as their branch system underground. So they don't easily come up in a storm. Occasionally they're damaged in storms. But we have oaks in this country that are nearly a thousand years old. There's some in the New Forest that are over 900 years old. Now, we haven't got many because we spent most of those 900 years chopping them down and building boats and things with them. But actually, oaks last a very long time they are strong and majestic they're well rooted they are very difficult to uproot strong vital long-lasting beautiful trees God says I make you oaks just let it sink in you didn't start off as an oak he's turning you into an oak I mean we can stick with just our own little say oh I'm not an oak I'm a dandelion (laughs) I'm a bramble bush bramble bush for Jesus no you're not you're an oak you're an oak weeping willow I quite like to be weeping no you're an oak you have no choice you're all oaks it's not just only the strong they're oaks I'm just my little budlier no We're all oaks. Because it's not about what you were originally. You probably were, I'm like me, a nettle or something. But actually, God's turned you into an oak. You've become an oak of righteousness. An oak. It's glorious. You're a new creation. No more in condemnation. Because you're standing in the grace of God. Ephesians 3.17 says we're rooted and grounded 
in love. God's rooted you in his love. You're not rooted in your own ability or your own, you're rooted in his love and in his grace. I think we've got a couple of verses just to nail that home. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we've loved God. That's not the issue. Oh, I don't love God. No, 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 stop that. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That means the, the pay the debt for our sin, to take the judgment for our sin to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved you before you even thought of him. His love is what you're rooted in. Let's look at one other, Romans 8. Let this sink in. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. I'm sure you don't always feel like more than a conqueror, but in and through him you are. Through him who what? Loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, I am sure, note the phrase, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Wow. That's good, isn't it? That makes you begin to feel you might be an oak after all. Because you're not rooted in your ability. You're not rooted in your strength. You're rooted in what he is and who he is and what he's done for you. That's what your roots go down to. You're not just an oak. You're oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. Now, Actually, we get even more by understanding this a little bit. In the context, Isaiah's writing, and they obviously had their whole world they were in when they were writing, and, and they understood that. It's wonders of the Bible. It's glorious. It, had word, it was God's word for them and their time with promises of the future, and it's God's word for us. And we learn more by understanding its first impact. Now, here's one. The only other time Isaiah refers to oaks it's, it's not good, it's negative, because in his time, there were oak groves, groves, just notice the name, there were oak groves that were all around idolatry and pagan worship. And actually, just a couple of pages earlier, I think it's uh, 57, yeah, Isaiah 57, the, if you wanted to look at it, one of the challenges that Isaiah brings is that God's people, Israel, the Old Testament people, Old Covenant people, they're dabbling in idolatry and they're getting involved in these occult practices in the oak groves. So verses four and five are God speaking to Israel, right? Who are you mocking? God says you're mocking me by your behavior. So we mustn't get too much into this, but you do understand, need to understand. This is God speaking through the prophet to Israel. Who are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Ah, there you go, it's in the Bible. Sticking their tongue out at God. Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit, you who burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys and under the clefts of the rock? Basically, 
there were these oak groves where occult activity and idolatry went on which were involving orgies and involving child sacrifices and these people were going and seeking spiritual experiences in these pagan setups and the great prophecy that comes that we're reading is my anointed one will make you oaks of righteousness but of righteousness in other words You yourselves will be a place where you meet with God. You won't need to go looking for experiences in pagan oak groves. I will make you a place of encounter with me. But you'll be oaks of righteousness. Now, if you find the imagery a little confusing, let me give you some New Testament background for what that means. Let me quickly say a few things because it's very important. This links directly to who we are in Christ. We are made righteous in Christ. Let's look at a verse that you know I love, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him, he is God, the him is Jesus. For our sake God made Jesus to be, who knew no sin to be sin. Okay, I didn't read it very well because I was too interested in explaining it. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. This is the gospel. God did it. God did it. We're going to find that all through this morning. God did it. I'm, I'm making you a righteous. I planted you. He made Jesus to be sin your sin was put on him we've just reflected that in the bread and wine he knew no sin he had bore your sin so that in him in Jesus Christ we might become the righteousness of God that is too good to be true exactly true that is too good to be true it could not be true if God did not tell us Without the revelation of God, it wouldn't make any sense. In fact, we'd never make it up. It's not a man-made religion. No man would make up the gospel. It's very odd in many ways. Dying God, dying, bearing our sin, and us being made righteous, given the righteousness of God. It's totally different to any other sort of religion on the planet. The truth of the gospel of grace is significantly different to all other religion. It's very different. God takes you... Sticking with our plant analogy, nettle, dandelion, and, and he turns you into an oak of righteousness. How? By Jesus bearing your sin in his body on the cross and the wrath of God satisfied so that you can be made a child of God, born of the Spirit, so that you have imputed, given to you the righteousness of God. That's why we can sing, as we did earlier, I'll stand before his throne righteous and acceptable. Not because of my merit, because of his merit. Jesus' merit. Isn't that wonderful? So you're an oak of righteousness and you become a place where God dwells. You don't need to go to pagan oak woods. Look at this one from 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know, Paul writes to Christians like you and me, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Who needs to go seeking occult practices? The Holy Spirit lives in you. You're an oak of righteousness. Don't need oaks out there. You are an oak. 
And when we gather together, if I can push the analogy, we become an oak grove of holiness and the presence of God. We are an oak wood where God dwells, where you can meet the living God. That's also in Corinthians. We aren't going to look at all these. That you yourselves together become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So in terms of Isaiah's picture, God, the Messiah, Jesus says, I make you oaks of righteousness. I will love to dwell with you and be with you. What a gospel. Is that not a good gospel? You say, well, I don't, still don't feel much like an oak, John. I'll tell you how it gets sorted out. Start focusing on the truth of what God says about you and let your faith rise to it. Don't focus on your feelings all the time. Feelings are not unimportant, but they need to follow your faith, not lead your faith. It's a very old and picture which is as old as almost me I'm sure it's older than me because I can remember hearing it as quite a young person tall wall 10 foot high wall very narrow wall about nine inches wide say a, a brick length wide three little boys walking along the top of the wall the first boy is called fact God's fact God's fact this is about God God's facts the second little boy is called faith and the third little boy is called feelings they're 10 foot high walls, so it's a bit dodgy, but they're walking along quite confidently because God's truth, God's fact is leading. Faith has got his eyes on fact, and fact knows what he's doing, so he follows him, and feelings follows faith, and they're all happy. They're staying on the wall. If they swap round and feelings leads the trio, we're in problems. Feelings is very wobbly and uncertain. So if feelings, faith is looking at feelings, and poor old God's word is tailing behind they'll fall off. Actually, if faith's leading on his own, they don't do well. Because faith may have a few ideas, but he doesn't know what he's looking at. So he might look at something over there. Oh, maybe I believe in that. Wah! And they all go off the wall. So it's, what does God say? I look at that. That's what my faith's in. My feelings will line up eventually. They will follow. We won't fall off the wall. Now, it may be childish, but it's always helped me for the last 60 years of my life. So just remember that when you have those times. It's not a feeling they need to follow where you're, where God, what's God saying? That's my faith and my feelings of I'll soon be praising God. Honestly, it works. <laughs> if it makes sense. <laughs> okay, let's go on to the next one. Planting of the Lord, because it's all good stuff. God planted you you didn't start this he did and to explain this I'm going to not really do anything much more famous last words than read a passage in Ephesians because God started your walk with him you were dead in your sins and God got hold of you before you ever got hold of him let's just listen if I can read it properly, to these verses in the New Testament, which are telling you, if you like, how true it is that you are a planting of the Lord. You didn't plant yourself, he planted you. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. And this is for all of you, if you're followers of Jesus. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved, through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Got it? God planted you. God planted you. He started it. You, he sought you out. You were dead in your sins. And he made you alive. There's a wonderful verse in Charles Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be?, you guys might like to look at that sometime, you musicians. <laughs> you might want to rejig it, but it's a beautiful hymn, and can it be? And this verse is in it. Let, let, just read it. It says, Charles Wesley caught it beautifully. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye, that's God, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's the story of every true Christian. Long your imprisoned spirit lay. You were fast bound in sin and nature's night. God's eye diffused, diffused a quickening ray, made you alive. Your eyes opened. My chains fell off. I, I said, I, I see it. I see it. I see. Jeez, I've been listening to it for years. I've got it. I need to put my faith in Jesus. That's right. Wake up. Put your faith in Jesus. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed him. I got out of the prison. Oh, I can follow Jesus. Yep, do it. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how it happens. You're a planting of the Lord. Jesus, let's really nail this. Jesus said this, John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. I'm one of his sheep, are you? <laughs> Amen, that's one picture. I'm also an oak of righteousness. <laughs> are you? So I'm an oak and I'm a sheep. Ooh, bonus this morning. But uh, it's all pictures, of course, but wonderful truth, wonderful truth. I'm a sheep of Jesus. I'm one of his sheep. He's responsible for me. He's my shepherd. I do stupid things. He looks after me. It doesn't mean I can be blasé because he sometimes has to discipline me. I sometimes get in a mess when I do do stupid things. But he never lets me go. Uh, no one can snatch me out of his hand. He won't uproot me. He planted me, for goodness sake. He's not going to root me up. Oh, let's try it again. Ooh, no. I'm an oak. You don't rip oaks up. You don't rip, they're not a pre-annual. What's it, annuals or whatever they are? Things you pull up every year. It's an oak. 
I'm an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. Finally, that he may be glorified. Well, this is linked to the last one, really. It's all his work for his glory. That's, that's humbling, but it's actually very reassuring. I'm part of God's love project. He's not going to mess up, is he? If I was dead in my sins and he started it, if I was planted by him, it doesn't reflect very well on him if it never works, does it? It's not going to be like that. I'm going to be for his glory forever and ever. He started this, he will complete it. He began a good work in me. Isn't that what it says in Philippians? I am sure of this. Philippians 1.6, it's not going to be on the screen. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's pretty good, isn't it? He began it, he's got to complete it. It's to his glory. My salvation is not just about me. Your salvation is not just about you. And we really have to flick this one in our heads in our modern culture. You benefit most when you get this right. I'm true, it's true. If you obsess about yourself, you'll never quite get it right. He'll still save you, but you'll always be dithering about taking your pulse and worrying if you... Listen, you keep focusing on him. He began it, he will finish it. He is on a work with you. He's got good, he's got work, good works for you to do, which he prepared beforehand. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a place for you. He knows the state you're in. He's working on it, but he will complete it. He will complete it. And it is all about him. The gospel declares the glory of God, the gospel and what is happening to you and me, the church of Jesus Christ, declares the glory of God like nothing else. Actually, other things do declare his glory. The heavens declare his glory. Creation declares his glory. But the church particularly declares his glory. Declares the glory of God's mercy, the glory of God's love, the glory of God's wisdom, his cleverness, if I may put it like that. How did he ever do that? The angels are amazed. The demons are furious and frustrated. What's he doing loving those wretches that we ruined? Satan ruined us and God turned it right round. Took us out of the pit, made us his children. Peopled heaven with the people Satan ruined and was thrown out. Satan was thrown out of heaven. We get heaven. He doesn't like us. But that doesn't matter because God's got hold of us. Amen? He has. He's got hold of us. So we live for his glory. Let's look at one last scripture. 1 Peter 2.9. You are, it's for all of you, if you believers, follow Jesus. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Cool, I like that bit most of all in some ways. I don't mind, the other's nice. But I, I'm his own possession. I'm very special to God. So are you. Precious, apple of his eye. Precious, his own possession. Why? Why did he do all that? Well, here's one big reason, perhaps the main reason, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So the purpose in it all is ultimately for his glory. 
And in case you think, oh, that's a bit funny, that's wonderful. It's not funny at all. God is our creator and maker. God is perfect and whole. He knows what is best for us in every way. My blessing, my joy, my satisfaction is found most fully in what pleases and glorifies him. That is a fundamental truth. If I seek as a believer to follow him and please him and work in harmony with him, I will be most happy and most satisfied. It's the best thing for me, not just for God. It's not like, well, I'm just here so he looks good. That is just, if you really thought that, I'd wonder if you were saved. But that is basically when you're in a bad day and a cynical. That is stupid, frankly. That's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. As you realize the glory of what he's done, as you live for his glory, as you endeavor to proclaim his excellencies by your life, by your words, by your love for others, by your actions, as you endeavor to reflect something of Jesus, you find more and more assurance and happiness and satisfaction in your own life. And you're going with the flow of where you're going to end up because you're going to end up in glory glorifying him. And you're going to enjoy it. And it won't be boring. It'll be wonderful. So you're flowing that way already, that it's all for his glory. It's all to magnify the name of the Lord and to lift high the name of Jesus and to honour him. Don't you want to do that? Don't you feel sometimes so upset that, that people don't understand his excellencies, don't understand who Jesus is and what he's done? We want to tell them. I'm not, that, that should provoke us to tell them but sometimes it seems hard work so you just got to pray Lord open their eyes Lord open their eyes it's wonderful it's glorious God's not a meanie God's not cruel Jesus isn't weird it's wonderful isn't it and, and we want to live for his glory we want to declare it we want to live it we want to love him we want to serve him we say be glorified in my life Lord be glorified in our church, be glorified. And Lord, we pray in our land, be glorified. Oh, it needs it. But Lord, we can do a bit more about our lives at the moment and a bit more about our church. Lord, be glorified here. And we pray for the bigger picture. Amen.